0: Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package, is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. Mahomes has the time, delivers,
1: perfectly downfield, touchdown, Patrick Mahomes with a rope. This
0: one it's touchdown. This time indeed for Beckham Jr.
4: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to RotoViz Overtime on Rodoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at OverTomarland. And I'm joined, as always, by my co host here on Rodoviz Overtime. It is Sean Siegel, one of the co owners of Rodoviz. Today's show is going to be an exciting one. We're going to be joined by our episode 200 contest winner. We did run a contest for the five star reviews. As always, it's never too late to drop us one of those on your favorite podcast app. Always, always appreciate it. And of course, that winner was Alex. We did talk about the review a couple of weeks back on the show. Uh, those other contest winners, as well, getting themselves some Rotoviz draft guides and Rotoviz subs. But Alex, on top of that, also got himself an appearance on the podcast. Really fun conversation coming up here with Alex. Uh, we did, uh, you know, plan to go about fifteen minutes recording. We recorded for almost forty minutes. Some really interesting questions, and you know, getting uh, a listener's perspective on some of the information. But some really sharp questions coming the way from Alex. So about to bring you this now in just a moment. As always, when we start off the show, you can get yourself ten percent discount to a roll of his NFL pass. All you have to do is enter that code rv radio 2021 at checkout or go to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information But let's get straight into it let's get alex on the show we always joke about the limited guests that we have on the show but now you can add your name to that esteemed list
2: yeah i'm very excited to be on the show and to join uh such a such a list of esteemed guests i think um you know we can all aspire to be so great as folks like uh pete overzet and others who you've had on the show and uh <laughs> i can just um you know convince myself i'm a part of the road family now so it's very exciting That's and I'm, it. I'm glad that you all chose my review every word and it was true
4: no problem no thanks very much and uh, for the listeners who are listening in if you want to follow alex on twitter it's at i am alex ff uh, give you a plug there as well alex um you you uh, are the winner you have the question so the floor is yours
2: Sure. Yeah. I just want to start off by saying, um, again, how much I love the show and that you guys are some of the sharpest minds in the industry. And I think what really sets you apart is you, you really walk the walk too. There's a lot of uh, football podcasts out there with great advice, but not all those hosts are out there. Uh, you know, top 10 finishes in the main event, taking down FFPC leagues all the time. So I uh, just want to, you know, everyone who's listening, I'm sure already knows how uh, great fantasy minds you are, but I want to throw that plug in there and I think that sort of ties into my first question which is i've been doing a lot of these ffpc best ball drafts both uh, superflex the slim format i love that you all get uh, as deep as things like defense and kicker strategy and the roster construction splor- explorer on Rotoviz is of course a great tool uh, my first question is sort of you know how much faith can we have in some of these smaller samples you know you go into the construction explorer and you put in one of these extreme zero RB builds, you've got the tight end early, you know, your quarterback's in the window. And it's like, oh, man, I've got a 40% win rate. Of course, that's because there's only 10 people who have ever drafted that way. And so you know, I wonder how much you all are tinkering with that tool when you're in your FFPC drafts. I'm always tempted to spend way too long i think clicking around on every single possible pick before you know round 18 and 20 and i'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you two use that tool when drafting on ffpc
4: i'll let sean go into depth on it but i'm just gonna I, I was in a draft this week um where i started off with travis kelsey and then ended up taking a quarterback pretty early but like you're saying the win rate was uh, amazing but we were looking at <laughs> a sample size i think there was like 28 teams over the last like four years had started with that approach so um I'll let Sean. Sean's always better at answering these things than me.
3: Well, I don't know if that's true, but one of the things that I think is interesting when you go through and a lot of the best things to do, a lot of the best constructions, the best approaches that we know based on looking at some of the individual positions and also based on the logic, when you start to combine them, you do find that not that many people have played that way. And so it can be frustrating because you're thinking this really is the dominant approach. It almost has to be the dominant approach. I think that these win rates are good, but I have to be, you know, a a little bit questioning something that has such small samples. And so one of the things I do like to do is go in and look at, is it working year to year? So the article that I have, that will come out uh, today or tomorrow looking at a, a particular element of best ball has a, and there was another one We're actually talking about defense, which you mentioned, where the approach that we know we should take had a very high win rate. And you look at some of these different things and you're, you're up to like a 20% win rate. That was the ar- article that came out last Thursday or Friday talking about um, if we do the single elite running back approach. So basically running back tight end and then a bunch of receivers, which happens to be the approach that I'm going to take in the NFL 10 of death here. The win rate. Once you get over twenty percent, there you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I mean, that's a fantastic win rate. That's more than double, you know, what the expected win rate would be. But how much can I trust that? And so then you go back, you take twenty twenty out and say, okay, well, that could have been a fluke based on specifics to that year. Now we can, we do want to look at that and think, well, you know, twenty twenty one is likely to be similar, especially if we're not seeing changes in ADP, which we're not. You know, we're not seeing owners adjust to what happened last year. We're seeing him chase very specific elements of running back play, which, you know, tends to be a, a losing approach, thankfully, for those of us who are going in a different <laughs> But you go back and then you look at 2017 to 2019, and the win rate for that is, you know, in that 12 to 14 percent range. And you're thinking, OK, well, the three previous years to the real blow up year, the win rates were still excellent. So I want to see consistency when I'm having some of these approaches that have smaller samples. If I have a smaller sample, but it's winning in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and the logic of it also works. One of the things that I think we do have to be aware of is if we're going in and we've built a team through 12 rounds and then we're fiddling with the RCE and it looks like drafting a running back instead of a wide receiver at this one spot changes our win rate dramatically, then, I mean, that's probably just a sample size fluke where a particular player in that year had a huge performance and sort of skewed the results for that round. We don't want to be that specific in terms of thinking that, you know, some running back in that round, in that year, now we should just go draft players in that spot. But when the larger trends or the larger – tactical elements that we know work and that work through years. And we combine those and those are also working through years and we're not getting down to being like, well, I've got to draft someone in round 14. No, we don't want to do that. But otherwise, I think that we can use the RCE to make some very good choices.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that sort of matches with my understanding of structural drafting, sort of helping set up our starts. Um, of course, in some of those FFPC leagues, it's great for later rounds with kicker and defense strat too. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's the temptation I need to avoid sort of what you're speaking to is, you know, running back wide receiver in round 15 is my fifth or sixth. Probably, you know, if I'm finding some big gap in win rate, it's it's not as indicative as, you know, if I go quarterback or tight end in the early rounds. You, uh, you sort of pre-answered another one of my questions, which was about the MFL 10 of death and sort of how you're planning on taking it down this year. I know there was a Twitter panic when you drafted a running back early, but it does seem like that single elite running back strategy is the way to go this year. And so I guess um I'm I'm tempted to ask, and I know you don't want to give away all your secrets. Um, of course, there's the the zero running back list that will come out later in the year, but if there are particular players and particular running backs, especially when you're doing your zero RB builds, your single elite RB builds, if there are guys that you're targeting last year. I'm sure a lot of people around the industry are watching this draft to pick up on who you might be taking rounds, you know, 10, 12, 14. I know I really had to reevaluate my opinions on the Buffalo running backs last year when I saw you writing uh, about targeting them and taking them in drafts. And I'm curious to to see or to hear if you'll, you reveal any little secrets or hints perhaps for us Rotoviz listeners.
3: Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the Buffalo running backs because those guys did not uh, exactly pan out, but I'm sort of going back to the well on that one and thinking that with how explosive that offense is, you know, if they change around some of the elements or even just improve slightly, some of the elements of their run blocking. Now we know that Buffalo is going to be pass heavy because they have this great quarterback. They have, you know, maybe the best, I mean, an Antonio Brown, like wide receiver in Stephon Diggs. uh, and it's just the best way to score points. And the Bills are one of the teams that seems to be understanding that if we go out and throw a bunch of passes, we'll score a bunch of points. We'll gap our opponents, we'll win. You know, we'll get to the AFC championship game. You know, maybe this year we can take down Mahomes, win the Super Bowl, that kind of thing. But with a team that's moving toward the goal line so quickly and so often, I think we want those running backs again. We had a cool article by Jack Miller on the site yesterday talking about mind the gap and the difference here in terms of confidence. The big gap running backs, you've got the star and then the deep handcuff, and then you've got those committees and how effective it can be to target the second guy in the committees. Well, that's so much of what we try and do with zero RB kind of throughout the years. And you had mentioned that the NFL 10th death and yeah, it's always really hard to, to draft the running back in the first round. I don't like to do it. It's not on brand. It's not quite as fun. Um, but I also like to represent the things that come out of the tools and one of the things with the best ball workshop for the last two, three years, uh, the single elite running back build, if you get an elite guy. And I think that Jonathan Taylor is interesting right now because, you know, is he a little bit of a reach or is he the guy who now is going to make the jump? And I know that column really likes him, especially in dynasty as maybe even the, the number two overall back. I like him there, um, I'm both optimistic and concerned about Carson Wentz. I think that offense could be excellent. I think it could be a train wreck. If it's a train wreck, you know, that doesn't work in his favor. You start with him, you come back around, you you have to have the elite tight end. And Waller is interesting. I would, not just in terms of points. And I think that, you know, we can get, you know, too concerned about how people are actually playing and get away from just the point scoring. We know that Darren Waller scored a bunch of points. We know he's done it twice now. I think that confirmation year, makes it a lot easier to draft him early. But then you watch what he did on the field, and he's destroying defensive backs, destroying safeties. You know, linebackers can't cover him. I mean, he's this mismatch nightmare that doesn't get the the Kelsey credit because he's not playing with Patrick Mahomes. But Derek Carr is playing okay. You have a situation where, I mean, he's the Raiders guy. I mean, he's going to have to do it or not do it for them. That running back tight end start is very effective if you then go wide receiver. Right. And that's one of the things Denny Carter was, was nice enough to ask me to answer some questions uh, for him and for the MDC site last week. One of the things that I mentioned in that article is that we can get too hung up on this idea of, oh, does this count as zero running back or does this count as zero running back and lose track of the fact that what we really want to do is win. Right. And we want to understand the elements of a strategy that are allowing us to win. And If I start running back tight end, I wouldn't ever expect anybody to call that zero running back. I mean, it's not zero running back. But running back tight end and then, say, six wide receivers, there are elements elements of that that are both more effective in a lot of cases, especially in particular formats, in ways in which that actually accomplishes more what we want than, say, starting wide receiver times three or wide receiver times four and then going to other positions. One of the things that people ask me all the time is they say, well, this is my build this is my team you know what did i do wrong why am i not winning you know you've got 12 other players or you've got 11 other players that, you know only one person out of 12 is going to win so a lot of times why you're not winning is just it's it's hard to win your odds of winning in the individual league are not that great but the other part of it is that sometimes people are just not taking enough wide receivers one of the things we really focused on last year was zero running back is if you're playing zero running back and not winning and not you know not even really being competitive. You didn't take enough total wide receivers you got to get more of those guys sometimes if you take that running back first then you have the best of both worlds
4: and then that draft uh, for the listeners who were recording this one on tuesday um i did see it in uh, you know there's some tweets uh, i know sean's not on twitter but uh, zach Kruger was
0: sending a tweet to me uh, and a dm to say like what's sean doing here and i said like obviously we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: The, I think Travis Kelsey was the pick there, Sean, but then was drafted by Sigmund Bloom, and then it gives you Jonathan Taylor. But you mentioned my thoughts on Jonathan Taylor. I think he is in that yeah, but i think the way you were thinking of dalvin cook last year i think that's the way that i'm thinking of uh jonathan taylor this year whereas i think he is in that kind of fourth spot at the running back position so i, I really like it you got the tight end then coming back the other way and like the more the more you see sean draft the more you know that there's a, a good a good decision behind all these picks so uh looking forward to seeing how that plays out so sean could have give away all his strategies in this and it wouldn't have come out too saturday but sean keeping the carriage close to the vest as
1: we uh, as we go through the show look no one's perfect even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded the best golfers sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line so if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes it's perfectly okay but if it's bothering you there are options. Go to getroman.com slash rotoviz now. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A US licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication's appropriate, it ships to you free with two day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash rotoviz. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment.
3: Alex, who do you like in that spot there? We had the seventh pick. For me, if, if Travis Kelsey drops, then it's a, a tricky choice. We know that he was the most valuable player in most formats in fantasy last year, especially if it's not just sort of a three-week race where obviously Alvin Kamara has the massive score at the end. Tight end traditionally having the elite guy is key. Drafting in the first round has not been as successful, although part of that is that Rob Gronkowski will go early and get hurt. If he drops this interesting question, for me, the decision there between Jonathan Taylor and Tyreek Hill and actually just taking a pure zero running back start, um, you know, that was a tough choice. Do you have thoughts on, on where you would have gone? How would you like to start the draft there?
2: I think the way you played it makes sense. I think um, you mentioned the piece with Denny Carter on um, the website formerly known as Rotoworld, and I think that that sort of uh, reaffirmed my belief that we don't have to go zero RB. The single elite start is one that we can work with, and that middle of the first round seventh pick, where you're you're between Jonathan Taylor, maybe Kelsey Falls, maybe you're going Tyree Kill. I think. Earlier in this offseason, I might have been tempted to take Tyree Kill or maybe even Devontae Adams before the Green Bay drama. It looks like I'm peeking at the draft board now. A couple guys behind you went with a double wide receiver start. And so getting getting Jonathan Taylor allows you to go with that single elite RB build. Whereas had you tried to go wide receiver, you know, Hill went, Adams went, Hopkins went, Diggs and Ridley were gone as well, H.A. Brown before your next pick. And so trying to do that three or four wide receiver start where you've got a bunch of other sharp minds in the draft behind you, sort of uh, maybe not quite zigging where everyone zags or zagging where everyone zigs. I don't really know. But I think, um, yeah, looking at that start and seeing now Jonathan Taylor, Darren Waller and uh, C.D. Lamb coming back around in the third, that feels like a great way to start that build and then start really um, hitting wide receiver in rounds three, four, five, six, seven and, and build out that strong core.
3: And and I'm hoping that is the case. It it is interesting because all the time, you know, I hear wide receiver is deep, wide receiver is deep, wide receiver is deep. And there's some truth to that. And there are some things that you can take advantage of there, things that you can play it. But at the same time, you know, I'm in the third round there, taking C.D. Lamb. His ADP is in the early fourth round. I didn't think he was going to get back to me. And he is the highest rated guy that I have there. So that's why I took him. But when you're looking at the third round and you're looking at Lamb, someone who... Based on what we know about his college track record, his rookie track record, the way wide receivers who are stars make these massive leaps in year two, and then you're like, well, you know, how is he available, you know, anywhere? How is he available not at the, you know, beyond the 101 because he was so good? So I like that pick, and yet at the same time, there's a big difference between Lamb and starting with some of these wide receiver wide receiver starts. So if you do pass on wide receivers in the first two rounds, you are going to be losing some wide receiver value. And I think that that can, you know, get passed over sometimes in this idea that wide receiver is deep. If you start wide receiver, wide receiver, you get more firepower there. And, you know, we talked from time to time, you know, in part because it worked out, but that draft that Blair and I did in the FFPC main event last year, where we did have the 12th pick, didn't have a shot at a running back. We liked started with zero running backs in the first 10 picks and you know, had that Julio DeAndre Hopkins start, yeah, Julio gets hurt. We have the firepower to overcome that. But if you have Julio DeAndre Hopkins and maybe even Julio last year as opposed to this year, where this year there are some questions with him, then that's a lot different than the guys you start to get in rounds three and four. So I, I do encourage people to consider the fact that a wide receiver, wide receiver start is going to give you some advantages that other starts don't.
2: I think... Um... I think I'd love to chat a little bit of Dynasty as well, if we've got the time. Um, That is not the best segue. Clearly, I'm not the professional podcaster in here, but (laughs) we're just going to roll with it. Um, When you talked about uh, the difficulty of winning in leagues and, you know, we can improve our win rates, uh, that definitely reminds me of Dynasty because I have been in a home league since 2013 and I have yet to take home the championship. So I'm really hoping that I can uh, get some tips here and maybe find my way to glory soon. I love the trading down strategy that you two talk about on the podcast a lot and sort of found myself in a situation where uh, I actually just had my rookie draft this past Sunday. I had the sixth and 13th picks. This is a 14 team league and I kept going back and forth. Do I try and trade up into the top four or top two, even do I move back from six and try and get a couple stabs at some elite wide receivers. And, uh, this is a non-super flex league I'll specify, but really in general, um, I think that it's easy to see why trading down is good strategy. Uh, you're getting more, you know, lottery tickets effectively. As much research as we can do, as many great tools as there are on websites like Rotaviz and elsewhere, we're always going to miss. And so, having a couple of late first versus a few early ones makes sense. However, I wonder, you know, is there ever a good time to trade up? If it's a particular prospect that you believe in or a particular format. If your team's in a particular place where you feel like you're you're that young rookie running back away from contending, is that something that you ever think about doing in Dynasty Leagues? Or are you still sort of always thinking about having that championship window open and, and a trade-up as really a mistake that can cause that window to close faster than you realize?
4: When it comes to trading in dynasty, my main trades up are moving future picks are going to be when the league is established and moving future rookie picks. Uh, if I'm in a situation as a startup, what you're doing is like increasing your risk. So if you think of it as like you know if you're in Vegas and you're putting down the chips, like you're putting more chips onto that one player having to hit. Whereas if that player doesn't hit, then the rest of your team's going to suffer as a result. So what Sean's doing a lot of the times when we're looking at these drafts, and we're going to be talking about one on this week's show, where when you move back, it gives you those opportunities to then move up because you have accumulated those extra picks. And in that case, you're taking out some of the risk of those early picks having to hit, to, as you mentioned, give yourself more shots for those other picks hitting. So it really comes down to risk, uh, I think, but I don't think trading back is like a... Something that you'll say is less risky, and in, in terms of like the ability to go on risk, you're moving away from those top end talents, but you're also giving yourself more chances to hit on the other pieces. So, I, I tend to stick very much to what we talked on the podcast, and trading down is going to give you those extra shots. But I'm like, see, for example, this year there was a lot of leagues I didn't have 1st round picks in because I had moved them into last season, um, just trying to you know push those push those chips into that year to try and bring it all home so it is a balancing act I think but my biggest trades for moving up or moving players to get you know those first round picks are going to be in leagues that are already established rather than those rookie drafts Sean in those startups or rookie drafts uh, I guess we're looking the question was about rookie drafts specifically do you tend to move up let's say last year we had Jonathan Taylor was our guy last year and like, was there any situations there where you were putting all the chips onto Jonathan Taylor? In my drafts, I, I tend to, as I mentioned, hold off on making those push-ups.
3: Yeah, so there were a number of startups where I paid a ton to get up for Jonathan Taylor, even some that happened pre-draft, and then he goes to the Colts and you have a little bit of that committee and you're thinking, well, you know, I just got too excited and I overpaid but then very quickly the talent comes through he's back into a situation where he's being drafted in the first round of startups even first round of super flex startups which you know is pretty awesome to be able to have him on those teams in terms of this trade down article one of the things I did try and mention is we do get in situations where we don't want to trade down we don't want to pass on guys Uh, Jonathan Taylor last year 100 in the running back prospect lab you know we don't want to trade out of spots where we have guys with those scores at 95 or above, you know, someone like a Christian McCaffrey, you know, if we traded out of some of those spots, you know, you'd really be kicking yourself this year with Jamar Chase, uh, the top, basically the top guy ever in the wide receiver prospect lab. And then Matt Spencer's amazing wide receiver model comes out and, you know, Chase is just blowing the top off. It has this amazing projection. You know, those guys, I've, I'm trying to make sure that if I have a pick in that range, then I want to make those picks. We talk a lot about the permanent championship window, and that's really sort of the foundation of our strategy. We don't like to get caught in those situations where we're going all in on one season. Uh, My experience, and I'm sure this is an experience that a lot of other people have, is that I do occasionally win leagues and upsets where I didn't have the best team. And then, you know, even if you have great overall results, just consistently you'll be in a situation where the number one seed and you have really bad luck in the semifinals, don't even make the championship, or you lose by one point in the championship. If you put everything into that season, then and, and you're in a case where you're sort of writing down some of these veterans where you can no longer trade them. So you just have to kind of ride out the string and hope that they can give you another year or two before the value is absolutely zero, you know, you then have this big rebuilding process. It's much better to have a team and hopefully you can keep the team to where it's in that fight for the buy. You know, you're not having to win a quarter and then a semi and then the championship. But we want to be in every year with every team. That's the way to get the, the best results from it. And kind of the, you know, as we were talking before the show, you had mentioned this idea. You know, do we always want to trade down? Are there situations where we want to trade up? It, depending on the league, right? Because sometimes your league mates are, are just not going to give you much to move down. We kind of look at two different ways to play it. One is the the trade down. The other is sort of the trade in and try and maximize all of our different roster assets, anything that you would really consider to be part of your team by moving those future picks into the current year. If you're in a league that doesn't allow you to trade down, sometimes it's just not a great trading league. Everyone in the league, you know, sometimes people don't like to make trades, but then other times people are willing to make a trade, but everybody has a really good sense of value and they're not going to give you, you know, any really exploitable types of moves. But Usually, a league will work one of two ways: where you people love to move up, and so you can move down, or people really want all those future picks, and so you can move in with those. And so, leagues that don't allow you to move down, we often like to bundle those future picks, move into the current draft, and then as long as you stay young with that. Now, if you're taking a bunch of future picks, putting them in the current year, you have a bunch of old players as well. You know, you find yourself in this situation where, okay, well, now my team's awful. I want to leave the league, which You know, it's uh, not a great way to do it, right? We're we're never approaching dynasty from the perspective of, oh, if my things don't work out, I'll just quit, (laughs) right? You got to keep fighting. You got to keep coming back through there and make this stuff work. And so when we're doing some of these moves to maximize the current year with trading in, the key is to stay young. We know that those rookies are going to be more valuable on average and some of them much more valuable the following year. You can then take them and trade out of them. You turn a Jonathan Taylor then into three picks in this draft. Maybe you turn a Jonathan Taylor into Chase, both of the Moors, something like that. And you've used that trade in now to expand the value. But it is important to be targeting the right guys, young guys, and to, to make sure you're going to have
2: future options to trade veterans as well. I think uh, your comment about different types of leagues and people who do want to trade and don't. Uh, I'm not going to call out any of my league mates on the show. Frankly, I I don't know if they listen to it for the brand's sake. I hope they do. And they leave lots of five-star reviews for my sake. I hope they listen exclusively to Sports Talk Radio on their local AM and FM networks and get all their fantasy advice from magazines. However, uh, it's probably just the confirmation bias. But all I'm hearing you two say is, Alex, you did the right thing in your rookie draft. You didn't trade up to 102. Jamar Chase went one-on-one, and Rondale Moore fell into your lap at the 12th pick. So I'm still riding that high from Sunday and glad to hear that um, you two, uh, well, you didn't say it directly, but are affirming the choices that I'm making in the league I care about most deeply. And additionally, that, again, the points about context mattering, the league size mattering, the type of league, scoring format, who likes to trade, who doesn't, I think it really is exciting to get to play different ways in different leagues and I know that both of you are in a lot of dynasty leagues and do a lot of best ball and main events and all that stuff and I'm trying to diversify a little bit more and, and push myself and play in some super flex now and it's been really fun to get to listen to the show and hear about all the different ways that you can strategize in those different leagues I'm not sure where we're at on time I, I did want to ask um, sort of a, a more super flexy question um, as far as sort of how you deal with I guess, volatile players is one way to put it. Um, I was thinking about Deshaun Watson specifically, but really any player whose future is uncertain, whether that's off the field or on the field. Aaron Rodgers is another one that comes up, though his value doesn't seem to be taking quite the hit, of course, because of what Deshaun is facing and the possible suspension and loss of playing time. But I think this goes back to players like Antonio Brown, too, or even Kareem Hunt. You know, it can feel a little... Uh, icky to feel like we're taking advantage of those. And at the end of the day, this is a game we're playing and we're trying to win. And uh, Sean, I think I saw that you made, I can't remember the league, but you either traded for or traded away to Sean Watson. If I'm remembering right, Baker Mayfield was a part of the deal. And so I'm curious to hear maybe about that specific deal or just in general, sort of what your thought process is when trying to evaluate some of these things that can really impact dynasty value and, and really leave us either with a player whose career is suddenly over or who's got this dip in value and is going to kind of rise back up to their previous ADP.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's a tough question and I really like the guys with a wide range of outcomes. I think a lot of times the discussion, I think that fantasy players intuitively know that. And then at times go for players that you can project more easily because people think those are going to be more accurate projections. It it all depends what you mean by accuracy, right? Well, so we have these wide range of outcome players. In many cases, those players, even though they have a very low floor, will maintain a decent amount of trade value that players who have a smaller range of outcomes and even some pretty good outcomes in there will not, because the trade value is so much tied to these top end outcomes. And so, you know, we do look at some of those players and think, okay, you know, we want to have high volatility players. That was something that Ryan Ruillard talked about, you know, back in 2013 at at the very birth of the site. And I think really gave some, you know, fantastic advice. He's also in finance, had some cool elements with that to it, which, you know, uh, Patrick Corain and I still take a ton from that. And based so much of how we kind of build our rankings off of some of those ideas, Pat obviously has done a lot of other great stuff as well. But the suspension potential guys and these guys who have done some things that you just don't know, right? We don't want to say for sure that they did things when we weren't there. We don't know what the evidence is. But that I'm not as interested in as as players who purely have wide range of outcomes based on talent. And I think that this potential to have a guy go to zero – when he has so much value, you know, say, well, you know, if you were moving Deshaun Sean Watson for Baker Mayfield, that's a massive loss. And it is a massive loss based on, you know, what what the upside of those two guys, you know, happens to be when they're on the field. But Mayfield, super flex, a young QB, really came on at the end of last year. Yeah, you know, is not going to have this 25 plus point per game upside, but has the youth has this long window. One of the things that we're looking at in super flex is just not the need to churn QBs. That's one of the reasons why Derek Carr is a big target for me. Now I say that I have him all the leagues. It may be something where he actually drops a little bit this year. It does get benched, you know, it is out of the league in terms of a real dynasty super flex asset, but Carr kind of in that age range where it's very easy to see him play as a low end starter for another seven or eight years. And, as your QB3, especially in Superflex, that kind of guy has a lot of value. So when we're looking at how we would move out of Watson, one of the things that we're trying to do is to make sure that we're not going to then have to spend more value on QB and more value on QB and more value on QB. Uh, My concern is that Watson's value is zero. Now, in my rankings, I try to balance that against the fact that even if it's like a year, year and a half, two years, you know, if we do get to a point where people are willing to look past this, then we know he's one of the very best players in the NFL. And so if you're rebuilding or he's dropped deep in your league, then I think that makes sense. But I still see him picked in a range where I'm like, I mean, he's got a long way to go down uh, before we could really be talking about a value. And so, in that particular trade, I, I think I did Watson and Darius Slayton, who I have a lot of and still have some hope for, but now he's not in a great situation uh, volume-wise. And a 2023 second for Mayfield Landry and a 2022 second. You know, I, I lose a lot of upside in a super flex best ball league where being able to optimize those huge scores from QBs is so valuable to winning it, but that is a situation where I, I probably want to minimize a little bit of my risk. Another team that has Parson uh, Wentz. And so you don't really want to have both Watson and Wentz on the same team there. Uh, we talk a lot about trying to have as many pathways to victory as we can. And there is an element where if you have some of these risky guys who maybe have off the field concerns, then that comes up. One of the things that we see so often though, and we do have to factor in is even people who, do get second chances and third chances and fourth chances. The NFL is just very unforgiving. And so if you're out of the league for a bit, you come back in and play, you know, maybe you're just an NFL player. And, you know, you can't understate, like, what a superstar you still are in terms of, you know, compared to even other freakish athletes. I mean, you've got guys in the CFL who, you know, we wouldn't be able to fathom how athletic they were if we were to go, you know, watch a CFL game, you know, down on the sideline. You know, you go into the NFL and, you know, you're just a guy. You see uh, Josh Gordon come back and people had just such high hopes for him for so long. And he did make it back a couple times, has played in some games, but it was really that one season where he was really somebody you had to have. And so I think if you have a chance to get out of some of these guys, I, I kind of like to do it.
4: Yeah, my thing on that would be sometimes to. Uh, Obviously, there's the risk uh, of it, say, injury related or just like previously with somebody like Josh Garden could be like uh, suspension related for uh, drug issues and things like that. But some of these come down to a moral issue as well as to where do we sit with the things that, whether they have or haven't done them. Uh, And that can be, those guys tend not to be on my rosters. Because at the end of the day, you're playing a game that you want to be fun and Sometimes it's hard to root for people who you might think, haven't got the best character i guess we'll leave it at that but um yeah like sean said there i do have an appetite at times for risk but you know sometimes moving out from deshaun watson or a player similar to that at this point for 60 percent of the value is a lot better than in four months having zero percent of the value if, if that makes sense
3: Alex, I wanted to ask you, what are you doing with Watson? And even though it's sort of a a smashed together question, who who did you take with the sixth pick in your draft as well? I thought that Moore going down to you at 12, that's awesome. In the Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty League startup that Blair and I are currently in, so many great participants in that. Uh, We've had to continue to modify our approach because the competitors are so strong. Moore went like three rounds above his ADP in that one as at least one, if not multiple of our competitors really liked him. So I think you can feel great that, you know, in some of these dynasty startups more uh, even in super flex is going as high as, you know, round six or early in round seven, that makes, you know, where you're getting him in a 14
2: team league look like a screaming buy. Uh, who do you pick at six? So I traded down from six. I got 12, 14, and then I think it was a couple of thirds and a 20, third for the sixth pick. Uh, Kyle Pitts had actually fallen to six, and so it was a really tough. Uh, it was a tough decision. I was fielding all sorts of offers. Somebody was ready to give me Michael Thomas straight up, and then changed his mind at the last second. So this was a a live rookie draft on Zoom with fourteen people. Everyone's texting each other. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I was I was torn and and uh, sort of facing my own biases. I already have George Kittle and Logan Thomas in this league. We start three flex, so you know Pitts might have been the pick there. And I, I hope I'm not regretting it in the long run. But I was happy to pick up a couple late firsts and uh, grab Rondell Moore at 12, uh, Terrence Marshall at 13. I ended up moving down again from 14 and picking up another future pick and got Diami Brown at 202. So sort of rebuilding my wide receiver core, picking up some future picks. I think that. I'm a little bit of a a trade junkie really. And sometimes I'm not sure if I'm making the trade because it's good value or because I just really like trading. But either way, it was, uh, it was a really fun draft to get to move around in. And I I really love getting to do the live drafts, obviously with leagues online. That's not always an option or, you know, you don't know everybody maybe, but certainly I think it's um, part of what makes fantasy football so great is um, being able to connect with people and meet new people and, have memories and reminisce on that terrible tree we made six years ago and oh this deal that we thought was so great actually turned out the other way i think um maybe we could do a whole other podcast about uh the morals and philosophy behind playing football because i think that or playing fantasy football there's certainly a level of um cognitive dissonance maybe that uh comes with rooting for players who perhaps have made questionable decisions or Done bad things off the field, or there's a reason we all keep coming back because uh, it's a lot of fun. Of course, it's a lot of fun to try and win, and also it's just a great way to unwind and blow off some steam and uh, forget about whatever troubles we may have in our lives. It's uh, it's great to get to to chat fantasy with you guys and and with my friends at home and with the people I've met on Twitter and Reddit and all these various leagues. It's it's really a blast. It's a great community for the most part.
3: Complete completely agree and it's been it's been so much fun to have you on when we decided to do the contest i thought it would be a cool idea colin was excited about it but there's always a little bit of you know that trepidation because you know people can come on you know not be as comfortable even a lot of you know fantasy writers people who've done it for a little bit um you know have nerves and and different kinds of things and you've come on and, and been fantastic and so it's been a lot of fun to have you on the show. We appreciate the review, appreciate you listening and, and reading. And um, yeah, I mean, this, is, this has been great. Thank you so much
4: that's going to bring us to the end of today's podcast really interesting conversation great questions thanks again to alex for coming on as always my co-host on today's show is sean siegel find out all sean's great work up on rotoviz.com really really uh, enjoyed having a, a listener on jumping on we are thinking about doing a bonus episode each week or most weeks uh, moving forward throughout the summer we're going to plan to get different guests from around the industry on some exciting names coming up so we're hoping to bring you three shows off his overtime uh, that will be now tuesday thursday and saturday is the plan we'll see how that goes moving forward so even more his overtime goodness coming your way so until we're back with another episode of the podcast as always have a good one